Welcome to The Daily Diagnosis, a healthy lifestyle podcast provided by Ogden Clinic. We're your prescription for health-centered conversation, stories, and advice. Hosted by myself, Parker Shaw, and featuring the talented providers of Ogden Clinic, you'll reach a positive prognosis for your podcast addiction by listening to The Daily Diagnosis. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Daily Diagnosis. This is Parker from the marketing team. I'm Scott with the marketing team. And we're joined today once again by Dr. Doug Anderson. Dr. Anderson, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm an ear, nose, and throat physician. I've been in the community uh, since 1995, and I've been with the Ogden Clinic since uh, 2012. And I love being with the clinic, and they've been a, we've been a, uh, had a great partnership together, and, and hopefully that will continue for a long time in the future. Awesome. So we were talking to Dr. Anderson before we started uh, recording, asking him about some of his hobbies. Um, I'm just going to let you brag about this for, for a second. So Dr. Anderson said he did a little bit of trail running. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your running history? Yeah. So I don't know if you'd want to brag about it. It may be a sign of <laughs> mental illness, but, but you know, I got into, when I first came to town, I, I uh, was a little from residency. I hadn't worked out a lot. And so I was a little heavier. And so I got into running and I started doing some 10 Ks first, and then I did a half marathon and then eventually uh, did uh, many marathons. But it, Along the way, I ran into some other guys that were doing a lot of trail running, and so uh, I found that I really enjoyed trail running because it's so beautiful to get out in nature and yeah. be away from the cars, and sometimes we'd see wildlife. But uh, but anyway, they had these races, and, and, and initially there was like a marathon on the trail, and then there was like a 50-miler on the trail, and then eventually there's a race called the Wasatch 100-mile uh, uh, run, and so I've done that a couple times and was able to finish it, fortunately. Um, so anyway, that's sort of a crazy thing. I, I don't do it as much uh, anymore because uh, it's harder as you get older. But uh, uh, but anyway, that's a, a little bit of a fact that I, I, I love uh, trail running. That's really that cool. That's impressive. That's I, I just daunting to me. Like, that's a <laughs> long 100 distance. miles, can you yeah. imagine? So, how, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask a follow-up question with that. So during that, do you... Is there any breaks at all, or is it just like running, running, running? Yes, so that's a great. So you have a time limit. So you could go as fast or as slow, but if you go too slow, they, they stop you along the way. So you don't want to go too slow. Um, but they have aid stations about every uh, eight miles or so, and, and along the way you can stop and get some food, or uh, maybe you have to rewrap your feet. You know, you get a lot of blisters, uh, yeah. as you can imagine. And, and, and after the first probably about uh, uh, 50 miles, or 40 miles you can have a pacer because you run actually through the night so it's a it you know for example it took me 33 hours so it's not very fast but but you're going up over steep mountain trails so it's not really pavement running it's and and so some of it's steep uphill some of it's rocky downhill and so you have to be a little bit careful so so uh, once half of it's over they you get to have a pacer that sort of is there as a safety net in case something goes wrong Uh, so you do get breaks along the way but you don't want to have too many breaks because the longer the break you take, it's harder to get going again, so you <laughs> yeah. get too stiff. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I imagine that would be kind of a thrill, kind of scary to run through the mountains at night, too. I mean, Seriously. I'd want a pacer, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Well, today we wanted to cover a topic that I think is really fitting for the time of year that we're in because we're about to enter daylight savings. And you had mentioned before we started recording something that I hadn't really even thought about, that daylight savings has quite a big effect on us and our sleep habits which I wouldn't have even considered. Do you want to kind of give our audience some information that kind of ties to that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I thought this would be a great top, uh, time to talk a little bit about the importance of sleep. And uh, and the reason being is that uh, coming up in November, November 3rd, is uh, daylight savings time when we fall back 
by an hour. And and uh, I just uh, it's interesting that whether it be in the spring, like in March, um, on March 10th when we we move the clocks forward, or on November 3rd when we move the clocks back, just that one hour of change it sort of throws off our circadian rhythm. So that that is like an inner clock in our inside of our brain that sort of uh, helps us feel awake or tired and it helps us with sleeping and, and, and then also being awake during the day and performing our daily functions appropriately. Uh, but it's interesting that that one hour shift can throw things off. Now, it, it's, some people say it's easier to, uh, to uh, fall back than it is to move forward with the clocks, uh, but both can cause a little bit of a problem. And I like to say it's a little bit like travel. So the falling back uh, in the fall would be a little bit like driving or flying uh, west uh, to to Los Angeles, and and having a little bit of jet lag with that right. versus uh, flying east um, in the spring and having a little bit of jet lag with that. But it throws throw things off a little bit, and it may mess with your uh, your wake your awake and your sleep cycles enough that you may not perform as well during the day. Hmm. Yeah, that that I feel like I feel that a little bit, but. Sometimes I just kind of think, oh, I'll get used to it soon. Not a big deal. You were mentioning that it sometimes has some bigger effects, like higher risk of accidents and stuff. Are there some statistics around that, like things that are seen, like, yeah. so especially during a, that time? So that's a great question. Someone has kept track of that. And during those times of, of changes, uh, daylight savings uh, time, there's been um, some, they've noticed that there's been increased risk of accidents at work. There's increased risk of car accidents that occur. Uh, there's increased risk of heart attack. There's increased wow. risk of sort of loafing at work. You're not as focused. You're having a hard time uh, being uh, uh, staying on task a little bit. And so it's amazing that just that one hour change, one way or the other, can really throw things off a little bit, and 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 can affect how um, how well you perform during the day. Yeah. So daylight savings, I guess, is the culprit a little bit, but also just because of the influence that that has on our sleep, I'm guessing, yes. right? The reason I uh, bring that up is because it highlights how important sleep is for us. For example, when I was a young boy, my, my brothers used to always tell me, you know, if you, slo- if you snooze, you lose. And, and so it made me always want to stay up later because I thought, gosh, I'm going to miss out on some movie that was up for, <laughs> that they were up late watching or something. And, and so I didn't want to miss out on that. But it turns out that they were wrong and uh, is that when you snooze, you're much better. And so sleep is really important. In fact, um, uh, in science, we've learned that sleep is an important part in the healing and repairing of the heart and blood vessels. Also, um, that ongoing sleep deficiency is associated with increase in stress hormones that can cause increased inflammation in your body, and it's in, and it is associated with an increased risk of heart disease, kidney disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and stroke. Also, um, when we are deprived of sleep, we produce more of the proteins that are associated with uh, Alzheimer's disease and other neurologic diseases. So sleep is so important for our bodies, uh, not only that we stay alert during the day and perform better, but for our long-term health. Yeah, I had no idea that it had like that big of an influence on like each aspect of that, those that you mentioned of the health. That's really interesting. So we've talked a little bit about why sleep is so important. I mean, do you have 
like a top three or top five reasons yeah. you would really want to get across to people? No, that's, so that's a great question. So actually, I have I can give you ten top reasons. So, um, so these are ten top reasons why sleep is important for us. And some of them, as you mentioned, we already talked about briefly. But there are some others. So number one, when we're not sleeping well, we have a tendency to be hungrier and and become overweight. Good, and along with that, number two, good sleepers eat fewer calories, and sleep deprivation disrupts daily fluctuation of our appetite hormones. So when we're hungry, we have higher levels of ghrelin. Well, it turns out that protein is in higher concentrations in our bloodstream when we've slept less, so we're hungrier. Um, when, we're, our, when we've eaten and we're satisfied, we have higher levels of leptin, so we're, we're less likely to be hungry. So it turns out when we're sleeping more, we have higher levels of leptin, which is a, a hormone that uh, makes us feel satisfied that we're not hungry. Good sleep can improve concentration. In fact, uh, you know, it used to be that uh, when I was in residency, they used to say the longer you stayed up through the night, the more things you saw and the more things you learned. But it turns out that they changed that too. They felt like it was important that the interns that were um, going through residency and medical or internship and residency that they needed to sleep more. And so they actually did a, a, a study and they found that interns who were sleeping a lot less than they should have made 36% more serious errors. Wow. Errors. So that's, that's a huge jump. So good sleep uh, can improve concentration. In addition, another study was performed on athletes. And uh, they found that athletes that were not sleeping through the night, they were partying all night, then the next day they were up trying to you know, perform in a basketball game or football game, they did a lot worse. And so they did a study on that, and they found that, uh, that good sleep can maximize athletic performance. For example, in basketball players, they had increased speed, more accurate, they had improved reaction times, and uh, they had improved uh, mental well-being. A sixth, sixth thing, a reason why sleep is important, is that it can affect... Uh, your glucose metabolism. And in fact, they did another study on healthy young adults who did not have diabetes and they deprived them of sleep uh, for uh, several weeks and they found that they started showing signs in their blood of, of uh, pre-diabetic uh, disease. And, and interestingly enough, as soon as they started le allowing them to sleep better, uh, their glucose metabolism normalized and they they everything looked normal again they were not pre-diabetic again so sleep can make you uh, lack of sleep can make you more prone to have diabetes poor sleep is also uh, linked to depression uh, poor sleep also makes you more prone to have uh, upper respiratory infections so you can have improved immune function when you sleep better and uh, you uh, have uh, more if you have less sleep you are more likely to have long-term bowel uh, inflammation or uh, inflammation of the digestive tract. So that's another thing that was has been found to be associated with lack of sleep. And lack of sleep also affects emotions and social interaction. There's a higher risk of depression in people that have uh, sleep apnea. So those are 10 top reasons why sleep is important. Yeah. So I think in society, especially like that fear of missing out, the snooze you lose kind of idea. And just, I don't know, I think oftentimes we don't appreciate sleep for what it is, that it can be such a healing and beneficial thing for our body. I think it's really common to work through the night sometimes or just stay out late, like being with friends in a social atmosphere or just staying up watching TV. But I found like this is like, I, I feel a little guilty. Like, I need to sleep. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I need to be in bed before. Well, like, all 10 of those are so much bigger than I had expected. Yeah. I mean, those are heavy things. Yeah. Um, just for my own curiosity, too, we're talking about the importance of sleep. Is it possible to oversleep? 
Are there side effects to that? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think sometimes the more you sleep, the 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 um, the harder it is to to get up and function. So I think I think you you shouldn't sleep all all day long, and so I think some people do that. So I think you're exactly right that the more you sleep is not beneficial. So I think the you know you want to sleep around eight hours of night if you can, but but longer than that, if you're sleeping 10, 12 hours, I think you you're not you're not having the benefits that you would like if it was. They're Probably right not amount. quality sleep. It's not quality sleep, and, and I think it is not healthy for you to sleep too long. Well, on top of the you know work-related things, social aspect, you know, sometimes we um, we ourselves kind of deprive ourselves of sleep just by the way that we live. But oftentimes, I feel like you see this very often. It can be a cause of our body, um, oftentimes related to sleep apnea. Um, do you want to talk about that and the effect that sleep apnea can have on? patients and their sleep? Yes. So just a couple things, just so people understand how prevalent sleep apnea is. So roughly about 25 million Americans in the United States have sleep apnea. And it's estimated that 26% of adults between age 30 and 70 have sleep apnea. Now the problem is there's a lot of people out there who probably snore that don't realize they have sleep apnea. But they may have other medical problems that they are unaware are associated with sleep apnea. Some of those include uh, high, high blood pressure, uh, arrhythmias, memory loss, diabetes, as we mentioned before, depression, as we mentioned before, decreased libido, and uh, um, obesity. In addition, there's a much higher incidence of car accidents, maybe seven to eight-fold, if you have sleep apnea and are, and are not having enough sleep. Um, so financially, it's a huge thing to, the, to our society if we could somehow diagnose better and treat better sleep apnea, you'd probably help a lot of people out with some of these other medical problems, such as high blood pressure and diabetes and depression and higher risks of car accidents and and other things. So uh, diagnosing sleep apnea and then treating it effectively are key to not only for all of us health-wise, but for the health of our our country's um, uh, health bill. Uh, so to speak, just because of the uh, the association with so many other diseases. Right. So what are some common symptoms of sleep sleep apnea? Because I think, obviously, a lot of times, maybe if you're single or you're not sleeping next to somebody, you might not even know that you have it, correct? Right. So I would, that's a great question. So a lot of people, for example, uh, may be that when they, they sleep all night, but when they wake up, they're still exhausted during the day. So number one. Number two, they may find that, gosh, they're forgetting a lot more than they used to, um, and, and, and so they feel like almost like they're getting Alzheimer's disease. It's interesting. A lot of these people who feel like they're getting Alzheimer's disease, once they effectively treat their sleep apnea, their memory significantly improves. So that's another thing for people to realize that it doesn't have to be a permanent change, that you may really improve your memory if you treat the sleep apnea. So, uh, so I would just say those, that, that they're, they're, you're not... You seem to be sleeping long hours but still exhausted during the day, and you're waking up a lot in the middle of the night for whatever reason. Then it's hard to fall back. Or maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and it feels like your heart is racing, uh, and, you, and maybe the, you're sweaty because uh, your body's been trying to wake you up so you take a better breath and by releasing adrenaline. And so uh, consequently, your, your uh, night's sleep has really been quite rough, and you're exhausted by the, the next day. Right. So. And then from an outsider's perspective, if maybe you're someone in your family has sleep apnea, is it, you know, 
do you notice by their breathing patterns or like snoring or like gaps of breath? Is that kind of what you see? Yes, that's exactly. You said it just right, Parker, is that uh, there's obviously some noisy breathing, snoring, and then there'll be a pause like there's no airflow there. And then all of a sudden after maybe 10, 20 seconds, sometimes it's a long time, uh, there'll be a sudden gasp of air uh, and, and people wake up to that lighter stage of sleep and take a breath. Um, but that, that interrupted sleep where they have to wake up to a lighter stage of breath so they can take a breath is really what we're talking about, the sleep apnea. Awesome. So what are some of the different treatments that people can have to help with sleep apnea? So that's a great question. So there's all sorts of different treatments. In fact, you can go on the Internet and find all sorts of proven and unproven types of treatment that may help. But probably from simplest to, uh, to more uh, complex is, number one, weight loss has been shown to be effective in helping reduce sleep apnea, so that's number one. But sometimes if you're tired, it's hard to lose weight, as we talked about. Number two, there's oral appliances that can be made, and I know people have heard of those on the radio, so a lot of uh, professionals also make... Um, uh, oral appliances that help keep their j uh, jaw forward and keep the tongue from falling back and blocking the airway. Other treatments would be to find out where the blockage is and do some sort of surgery to, to open that blockage up or relieve it, whether it be in the nose or whether it be in the, in the back of the throat, such as the tonsils or the uvula or the back of the tongue. Um, uh, or maybe it's that the, the people, some people have uh, a mandible that's not very developed and they have a orthognathic surgery, meaning that they've had some surgery by an oral surgeon to advance their mandible forward so, so it pulls the tongue forward. Mm -hmm. So there's all those. Now, there can be some of the more complex that most people don't want to have, such as, uh, such as uh, uh, having a tracheotomy. Um, um, but probably the most common treatment is some sort of a pressure appliance that people wear a mask that blows air in their throat to keep the airway open. And that probably is the gold standard of, of treatment for most people. Unfortunately, there's a certain percent of people that don't tolerate wearing the mask, and that varies depending on the study you look at. For some studies, it's a, a small percentage, 20 or 30 percent can't tolerate wearing a mask, but other studies say it's much more than that. Maybe 50 to 60 percent of people cannot tolerate sleeping with a mask on their face at night. Right. Well, and then on top of that, sometimes it can be inconvenient if you're traveling mm -hmm. or you have to bring it with you. So are there alternatives to wearing a, I guess it's called like a CPAP or a mask at yeah. night? So uh, that's a great question. You know, in fact, a lot of patients come to me and saying, you know, I like to camp a lot or I like to hunt and I can't wear my CPAP, I can't wear my CPAP. what do I do? Or if I'm in a hotel with someone else, I don't want to have a noisy mm -hmm. machine. So uh, 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 last year... Um, the Cleveland Clinic ha every year has a, a has sort of a, a, a gathering of all their physicians and and staff, and they have what's the top ten most innovative most innovative medical advancements that they've that they think are important um, that should be um, highlighted. And last year they said the number two uh, uh, most um, innovative advancement in treatment of sleep apnea uh, was the. Inspire device or the hypoglossal nerve stimulator. And so it's sort of exciting because it's technology that's already been out there and it's used for people with sleep apnea. I mean with, excuse me, maybe cut that out, but uh, that has been used with people that have uh, um, arrhythmias and so pacemaker technology. And so what this does is it's like a little battery or a small computer uh, chip-like thing that is implanted in the skin under the right side of the chest down by the muscles um, and, and it's probably the size of a, uh, of a silver dollar uh, and maybe about two or three times thicker than that. And that's sort of the, the processor that runs the, the device. 
Attached to that, there's a little tiny wire that goes under the skin, down towards the upper ribs on the right side, and in between the ribs, close to the, to the pleura of the lung, and it can sense when you take a breath. And then there's another wire that's plugged into this device that, that tunnels up under the skin, up under the chin, to a nerve that, that stiffens and pushes your tongue and, um, and soft tissues of the airway forward. So unblocking the airway to help you breathe better. And so the, the genius of this whole device is it's not a static uh, stimulation. It, 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 it responds to when you take a breath. So when you need it most, when you, if you have a floppy, collapsible airway, and you're taking a breath in when you have sleep apnea, that has a tendency to collapse. But what this does is when you take a breath, it pushes the tongue out of the airway and helps enlarge the the airway so that it doesn't collapse. And, and so the air uh, passes easily. It's not painful. Uh, it's, it's just a mild little twitch that amazingly uh, works really well. That's really cool. That's really awesome technology. I didn't really know that much about it. So it sounds like a really awesome opportunity for people that maybe do struggle with sleep apnea. What is the cost? Is this something that's covered by insurance? Is that feasible for somebody? Yeah, so that's a great question. So uh, fortunately, um, most insurances are starting to cover this. So it's very expensive if you were to have to pay cash uh, for this device, uh, as many um, procedures or surgeries are. For example, a total knee replacement or something like that. The the cost would be thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But but if your insurance will cover it, then the cost to you would be what your deductible is. So it'd be a great a great deal. And the cost to society. The reason why many insurances are covering it is because because in the long run they're going to be paying a lot less in other medical bills. For example, for high blood pressure or heart problems or other things. And so in the in the long run, it's something that's more and more being covered by insurances. Initially, when it was first, when it first came out, it wasn't covered very well, and there was a long approval process. But many insurances are now covering it, including including Medicare, uh, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, uh, and and many other uh, uh, insurance plans. Cool. So it seems like Inspire's a, a revolutionary thing. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about the surgery? Is it super invasive? Yeah. So that's a great question. So it's an outpatient surgery, so that's sort of nice. Um, and compared to some of the other upper airway surgeries associated with sleep apnea, it's not very painful. So that's the great news. It is an outpatient surgery, so people go home the same day. Uh, wow. they, they have three incisions, uh, so they need to keep those clean and dry and protect them from getting wet for a, about a week. And because... Uh, things are healing up, they probably shouldn't be participating in vigorous sporting activities for, for a few weeks uh, until things are sort of more healed up. But after that, uh, someone that who's had this procedure done could play golf or um, could, could you know, ride their bike or, or be, for sure be active. So people of all ages are, uh, are able to have this done. There's probably a few things, like I don't know that I'd play uh, aggressive rugby with it or something like that where, where <laughs> that, that area may be... Uh, uh, hit if you were if you were right. tackled, but but other than that, I think uh, I think you can do most any things. Well, Dr. Anderson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and uh, sharing about sleep and sleep apnea and the different ways that we can take care of it. And for our audience that has tuned in and listened today, if you'd like to find more information about Dr. Anderson or any of the other providers at Ogden Clinic, you can visit us at ogdenclinic.com. Thanks for joining us today and for listening to the, the Daily, Daily Diagnosis. Diagnosis. 
Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of The Daily Diagnosis. We're so happy that you joined us today. If you would like to find more information about Ogden Clinic, our providers or locations, visit us at ogdenclinic.com. If you're listening today from Apple Podcasts app, make sure you leave us a review or subscribe so you can receive more information about the different episodes that we post. We love getting feedback from our audience, so those reviews are priceless to us. If you also would like to shout us out on social media, our Instagram handle is at Ogden Clinic. You can also send us a DM if there's a topic that you would like our providers to cover, and we really look forward to hearing from you. We post episodes weekly, so tune in next week, and we can't wait to be with you again. Have a great week.